1: With Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
0: The Volume.
1: NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at an even bigger basketball win. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code hoops. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. We had no NBA games last night, so I figured today would be a great day to take a step back and hit five biggest takeaways from the early stretch of the NBA season. And then after that, we're going to do a deep dive on the Dallas Mavericks, who are shockingly off to a 6-1 start. And then last but not least, we have five mailbag questions for the end of the show as well. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. Actually, we're running a promotion right now for those of you guys who live in Los Angeles. We're, sell- we're giving away Laker tickets to somebody who subscribes to the channel. It's on my Twitter feed. I tweeted out the link. It's on the Volumes feed, but I quote tweeted it. The uh, all you have to do is post a picture that says that you're subscribed to the channel. We're giving away tickets to the Lakers and the Rockets, um, which I believe is early November. Excuse me, it's Lakers Blazers, and I think it's November twelfth if I remember correctly. But we're giving away Laker tickets, so subscribe to the channel. Even if you're outside of LA, it would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to just scroll down and hit that subscribe button as we try to get this channel off the ground. Been blown away by the support over the first couple of weeks, but obviously we have big goals for the season in general. Um, don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Don't forget about social media. Twitter's where I post a lot of the clips when I'm sorting, sorting through footage. Did that again this morning uh, when I was going through the Mavericks tape, so follow me there at underscore JasonLT. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so we can hit them throughout the season. All right, here we go. Five biggest Early season takeaways from a highly entertaining start to the NBA season. First, the Lakers and the Bucks both will eventually need a backcourt upgrade to contend for a championship this season. In my opinion, when you have an offensive fulcrum in the backcourt that has shortcomings in terms of size and athleticism, in this case, Damian Lillard for the Bucks. Austin Reeves for the Lakers, obviously a much, much, much lesser version, but he is basically the primary backcourt ball handler for the Lakers outside of LeBron, right? Um, When you have something like that, the guy flanking him can't also be a undersized athlete that's going to struggle to contend defensively and on the glass. And we've seen... We saw that for the Lakers come to roost with D'Angelo Russell in the Nuggets series, right? It was like one of those things where they played a backcourt that wasn't overly athletic in the uh, Warriors series and they got away with it, right? And then in general with the Grizzlies, they were able to pack the paint enough to kind of make up for it. But when they ran into a Nuggets team that presented the ability to both space them out and attack them with athleticism, they had severe issues in the backcourt at the point of attack, right? then we go over to the bucks and early in the season i mean they've got a couple wins in a row they're 4 and 2 it certainly is not a catastrophe by any stretch of the imagination but even over the course of this most recent two game stretch since they switched up their uh pick and roll coverages to dropping Brook Lopez back further they're still giving up way too many points on the defensive end even in those two wins so like for both of these teams these are teams that elsewhere on the roster check all the boxes the Lakers have an incredible depth in the front court between different types of forwards like thinner perimeter oriented forwards on the defensive end like Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hout- excuse me Jared Vanderbilt and uh Torian Prince and cam reddish and then they've got bigger, size up forwards, guys like LeBron James and Rui Hachimura, even Christian Wood, and then obviously uh, Anthony Davis and Jackson Hayes at the center position. They're stacked there. LeBron James looks way better than he did last year, particularly as a shot creator and as a late-game kind of initiator. That's all good. The Austin Reeves has kind of got it going in the last few days. There's a lot of stuff to get excited about with the Lakers, but... With Rui Hachimura being out, with Jared Vanderbilt being out, it's shined a really bright light on their lack of backcourt athleticism, and it's been a legitimate problem for them to start this year. And quite frankly, they're just not playing very good basketball right now at 3-4. and So for both of these teams, they're kind of one tweak away there from being what they could potentially be. If you upgrade that Pat Connaughton, Malik Beasley spot, to a player that can contend at the point of attack and help you on the glass and the same sort of thing with that D'Angelo Russell spot for the Lakers that could go a long way towards kind of patching the biggest hole in otherwise very dangerous rosters for both of those teams. Both of those teams obviously have to play better elsewhere as well. The Bucs have to get better defensively. Dame still isn't quite where he needs to be in terms of his pull-up shot making. God knows the Lakers have 17 different issues, but those are issues that should rectify as the season goes along just as guys start playing better. But then there's big. big picture roster shortcomings that will not get better, even as you start to play better. And to me, that backcourt athleticism is a big one. So look for both of those teams to be really aggressive at the deadline um, to try to find a good role player in the backcourt. Number two, never underestimate the value of compatible role players to a basketball team. And in here, I'm referencing the Warriors and the Mavs. These are two teams that had incredibly disappointing seasons last year relative to expectations, right? Warriors win the championship. Then they go have this weird, funky year. Draymond Green says it's not even fun to go to work. They're terrible on the road. They end up losing in the second round to the Lakers, right? The Mavericks go to the conference finals and end up losing Jalen Brunson, replacing him with Kyrie Irving in the ensuing trade, losing most of their athleticism and having issues defensively and on the glass as they miss the playoffs, right? So both of those teams kind of went into the summer with a lot of pessimism surrounding them, right? Like, I was higher on both than most. Like, I kept the Mavericks pretty high in my power rankings relative to where they were last year. I said the Warriors were a top tier contender. Those are two of the predictions that I've actually been somewhat on the point a bit with. I've been very wrong about a bunch of other stuff as is always the case, but like when it comes to um, uh, the general consensus of public opinion, most people did not include the Warriors in that list of top tier contenders. Most people thought the Mavericks would more or less be like what they were at the end of the year last year. But what happened? Small, Tweaks on the margins, just finding more compatible role players to what your stars bring to the table can go a long way to turning the fortunes of a basketball team. For the Warriors, getting rid of a super, super, you know, uh, uh, um, I would just call him uh, like volatile guard. And Jordan Poole, meaning, like, really high highs but also really low lows and that inconsistency being a problem, especially with the other youth in that lineup. Going from him to a grown-ass adult in Chris Paul has gone a long way to kind of orienting their bench lineups, right? And then Dario Saric, just as, like, another big – remember last year, it was like, are we going to play Jamichael Green? It's like, okay, we can't play Kevon Looney and Draymond Green at the same time. Okay, now we're trying Gary Payton, basically, as a big man in in these looks. They needed a big that could shoot – as a counter to teams that cause those sorts of problems um, sagging off of their non-shooters in the paint. And he's been primarily used as a bench option so far this season, but don't be surprised if you see him used in playoff series as a chess piece to try to generate more spacing for that team. But just the CP3 trade, getting rid of a malcontent in Jordan Poole, bringing in someone that can help kind of steady the ship without Steph on the floor, and then bringing in a quality – Uh, compatible role player as a bench big and Dario Saric has gone a long way towards transforming the Warriors to back closer to what they were in the year that they won the title on the Mavs Mavs front they drafted a rim runner a legitimate drop coverage big that could also catch lobs rolling to the basket Um, JaVale McGee just wasn't very good at that for them last year and and, uh, uh, Derek Lively's been better than you could ever hope from a rookie in, in that respect so far this year. And then the sign-in trade for Grant Williams, just using the tools that are available with you for you in the CBA to go target a good front-court player that – can do a lot of dirty work things that was undervalued with the Celtics and bringing him in has gone a long way towards bolstering the front court with a two-way player. And then hitting on veteran minimums, you always have to hit. If you're going to succeed when you don't have the ability to go out in free agency and sign expensive players, you have to hit on veteran minimum contracts. And the Derrick Jones Jr. pick in particular, I shouldn't say pick, the Derrick Jones Jr. signing at the minimum uh, contract has been a home run for the Mavericks this year. They're getting legitimate point of attack defense. He's helping them on the glass. And um, and is knocking down a respectable amount of three pointers, and is slashing off of catch and shoot opportunities as well to generate openings. And so, hitting on all three of those—hitting on a draft pick, hitting on a sign and trade, hitting on a veteran minimum signing—has transformed what was an overmatched physical roster to a roster that suddenly can compete in these games. And as a result, the Warriors are six and two, and the Mavs are six and one. So it goes to show you, like, as long as you have the the foundational pieces, you can make slight tweaks that end up uh, pushing things in the right direction. If that's That should be a piece of optimism for the Bucs and the Lakers who've struggled a little bit in those areas to start the season to know that like, hey, it doesn't need to be a great player, but if you bring in a compatible player into that two-guard spot, it could go a long way towards fixing your problems. All right, number three, Jason Tatum looks poised to take the final leap into bona fide top-tier superstardom. It's kind of been a crescendo of two different factors over uh, uh, the last several years that have kind of come to fruition this year in what looks like a very dominant Celtics team to start the year. They have made smart tweaks to the roster that have made it the best group of supporting role players in the league right now, in my opinion. And then Jason Tatum appears to have taken a leap in some key areas that I think translate well to him in the playoffs. Because again, no matter what happens with the Celtics in this roster, we know that they have issues in slow-down half-court playoff environments, right? Well, Jason Tatum so far this year, 31 points and 9 rebounds. Just an astonishing 67% true shooting percentage, 71% effective field goal percentage on catch-and-shoot jump shots, 56% effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots, 78% in the restricted area on 5.3 makes per game. That is sixth in the entire league. Jason Tatum is finishing in the paint. More than everybody in the league except for five players. And going back to last year, he ranked 17th on that list and shot 9% worse in the restricted area. So he's knocking down his pull-up jump shot at a significantly higher rate. He's getting into the paint and finishing there at a significantly higher rate, not just compared to himself, but compared to the vast majority of the league. And then last but not least, he's added a legitimate... Uh, post up an ISO attack that has been devastating. He's been the best ISO player in the league so far this year. There are 13 players in the NBA that have run at least 30 ISOs. His 1.22 points per possession, including passes, ranks first out of those 13 players. And he's posting up about twice as often as he did last year and has been very efficient there. That sort of like static creating a shot against the defense loaded up on you is something that Jason Tatum has struggled with in the past, and that is a good indicator that he could potentially take a leap in this postseason. I do not have them as my championship favorite right now. I don't think They've demonstrated enough to take that specific spot, but I think they could be trending in the direction to be that pick potentially when we get down the line. Um, Very, very, very good start for the Celtics. And Jason Tatum, you know, Sam Vecini said when I went on his show, he views him as a top three MVP candidate. I had had him as a top four MVP candidate. I included Steph Curry in that list because I think he's been incredible as well. But it's basically Steph, Tatum, Jokic, and Luka. Those have been the four best players in the league to start the year. Tatum's like, just on that tier now. That's just that's that's what we're seeing from him as a player. All right, number 4. The Denver Nuggets are still the best team in basketball. Um here's a simple stat to demonstrate that the Nuggets are still the best team in the league. The Nuggets have played the seventh toughest schedule in the NBA based on opponent winning percentage to start this year. The other 9 teams in the top 10 for strength of schedule difficulty have combined to lose 29 games. None of them fewer than two in an average of 3.2 losses, okay? That's what you're seeing from the rest of the teams in the league that have had a tough schedule to start the year. The Nuggets are 7-1, and and they're the only team in that top 10 to only have one loss. So they've played an incredibly tough schedule, and they've been dominant in that schedule. Of those seven wins, only two of them required crunch time, meaning the score was within five with less than five minutes left. So they've been dominating in their wins As well, They're playing the best defense we've seen out of this team in a regular season so far in the Jokic-Murray-Porter era. They're allowing just 107.5 points per 100 possessions so far this year. They were at 113.5 for the season last year, 115.7 in October last year, which was through seven games. So even just within the window of starting the season out of camp, they're defending at a significantly higher level. They were at 111.5 in 2022, 111.5 in 2021, 110.4 in 2020. So this one uh this 107.5 to start this season, especially when you factor in the difficulty of their schedule, is a very clear indicator that in addition to everything else this team has going for it. Best offense in the league in my opinion when it comes to slow down playoff basketball, best player in the league in my opinion in Nikola Jokic, Jamal Murray ascending to become a uh, top 15 player in the league, Aaron Gordon legitimately being one of the most versatile defensive do-everything Swiss Army knife forwards in basketball, Contavius Cova and Michael Porter Jr. and what they bring to the table, legitimately, in, 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 in addition to all of that, they are now defending better than they've ever defended. And that, to me, is a really, really strong indicator that this team is at least starting to check the boxes that you want to see checked for a team to repeat. One of the most common things you'll see from a team that has won a championship is they'll come into the next season and there's a significant dip in defense and rebounding and you know transition defense, clear indicators that they're just not quite as locked in on the details because their motivation is not as high as some of the other teams, being that they're at the mountaintop. We're not seeing any of that from the Nuggets so far this season. Uh, They're still the most unguardable offense in basketball. Jokic is the best basketball player alive. Here's an insane stat for you. Nikola Jokic is 17 for 18 on hook shots and 16 for 20 on floaters. So he's 33 for 38 on all of those little short-range pop shots in the lane. That's 87%. It was already insane when he was making two-thirds of them. And now he's making literally almost 90% of them. It's unbelievable. Uh, Their defense has been excellent in clutch situations. They have an 80 defensive rating in the final five minutes of games that are within five points. Again, only two games like that, but their defense has been very good there. They're just clearly the best team in the league, in my opinion, at least from the standpoint of what we can expect from them in the playoffs. Um, Until further notice, I think they deserve that spot. I think we'd have to see a significant change in the circumstances to feel differently about them. Um, Also, Julian Strothert, Career-high 21 the other night against the Pelicans Got hot in catch-and-shoot situations in the first half, then started to get aggressive with the ball in his hands in the second half. He's been an incredibly exciting player through preseason. The clear guy that could kind of slot into that. If you look at the starters that are all kids except for KCP, KCP's is kind of the old elder stateman, statesman in that group. Strother could be that shoe-in fit into that two-guard spot in the future, which just makes that team even more exciting in the big picture. All right, last... Um, takeaway from the early part of the season. We are just about guaranteed to get a very active trade deadline. Um, the The ingredients you need for an active trade deadline, in my opinion, are a wide open field, meaning a lot of teams thinking they can win the title. Um, teams that had high expectations coming out the gate struggling, right? That's why I look at teams like the, the, um, the Bucks and the Lakers as teams that are like not where they need to be clearly from the standpoint of personnel, but both clearly will view anything other than a championship as a failure. That's a good indicator. Uh, classic teams that would be targeting stars. So teams like the Philadelphia 76ers who moved hard in basically for draft capital and and will definitely want to put another star next to Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid, they're going to be a candidate for that. The Miami Heat are almost guaranteed to make a strong push for a star at some point during the season. That's a strong indicator of a busy trade deadline. And then lastly, teams that are close to being willing to blow it up a little bit, right? Like the Chicago Bulls, they're – off to another mediocre start, DeMar DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Nikola Vucevic could all potentially be trade targets this year. The Toronto Raptors, uh, Scotty Barnes looks incredible, uh, but the rest of the team and the fit doesn't make a ton of sense because they don't have a lot of shooting around him, and he's a big room pressuring forward. So like, don't be surprised if guys like Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi become available for trades during the season. So I think we're going to get a really active trade deadline this year, which is a big reason why there's just a lot still up in the air in terms of the finish line.
0: Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding?
1: Promo code HOOPS, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code HOOPS. In sports, the scoreboard doesn't tell the full story, but Netflix does. Stories about dads who happen to be world-class quarterbacks, untold tales of athletes you thought you knew, the heart-racing pressure for the heart, soul, and survival of the multi-billion dollar business of F1, stories about college kids who were given a last chance at redemption, David Beckham's meteoric rise to not only becoming a global soccer phenomenon, but also becoming one of the biggest celebrity couples in pop culture. From upsets to injuries, from comebacks to victories, we get to see it all with Netflix sports. These are the stories that turn us all into fans and give everyone something to cheer for, to feel for, to hold your breath for, and to get up out of your seat for. Whether you're a diehard fan or you're brand new, with shows like F1, Drive to Survive, Quarterback, Full Swing, Untold, Beckham, and so many more, Netflix has the stories for every type of fan. Netflix turns us all into fans. All right, we are going to do a deep dive on the Dallas Mavericks, who are off to a 6 and one start. Uh, I clipped some stuff uh, uh, from my my film this morning and uploaded to my Twitter feed, so you'll want to check that uh, out as well. Continue throughout the season doing that as well, because every time I cover a game, I I will clip uh, stuff and put them on. Um, six and one start now to be clear, five of the seven teams they played are currently below 500 and they're five and zero in those games. So they are benefiting a little bit from a, uh, of an, uh, from an easy schedule to start the year. But to be clear, they were 15 and 16. So they were below 500 last year against teams that were below 500. So going five and O in those games to me is a strong indicator of a good basketball team. Um, The offense has predictably been awesome, right? They're 120 points per 100 possessions, fourth best in the NBA. Second in half court offense, according to Cleaning the Glass, Lucas playing like an MVP, 43% on step back jump shots this year, or step back threes, excuse me, this year, which is insane. He's made 23 of them already, which is the most in the league. That's been a huge boost to their offense, especially late in games. Kyrie Irving has been a little off to start the year, but it's mostly his jump shot. Um, He's just not hitting his pull-up jump shot at the rate that we're accustomed to seeing with Kyrie. But he still looks explosive. He still has these crazy acrobatic finishes. He's still getting to his spots. And his playmaking has been off the charts. So to me, the shot's going to come, and it's going to be fine. I'm I'm encouraged on the Kyrie Irving front. And then they're getting great contributions from their role players. Grant Williams is shooting 54% from three. Tim Hardaway is shooting 39% from three on 9.3 attempts per game. He's been great in spot-up situations and just really aggressive pull-up shooting to just kind of boost the offense a little bit, especially with bench groups. Josh Green is shooting 40% from three. And then even Derek Jones Jr., um, particularly in his above-the-break threes, he did make a corner three against the Magic the other day, but he's been struggling a little bit from the corner. But Derek Jones is, is uh, uh, has had enough success knocking down threes and driving closeouts to be kind of a spacing threat in and of himself, which is important because he's been their best point of attack defender to start the year. But we knew this team would score. Um, The the most impressive element is they've made – the little bit of improvement they needed to make in their ability to hang in the physicality areas of the game, so particularly defense and rebounding, right? Last year, post-Kyrie trade, they were 27th in defensive rating, 29th in in, uh, rebound percentage. This year so far, 19th in defensive rating, 26th in rebound percentage. So just a marginal improvement there. They went from being... The, one of the worst defenses in the league to a middle-of-the-pack defense, and they went from being a team that basically grabbed 46% of available rebounds to grabbing about 48% of available rebounds, which can make a significant difference. Uh, difference. Now, again, not great. Still want to see them um, improve a little bit rebounding. They started the year super well, but they've declined a little bit there. Uh, but they, they needed to make a little bit of an improvement to give themselves a fighting chance for their offense to push over the top, and it's worked. Now to be clear, they have some good defensive personnel here. Like Derek Jones has been a good perimeter defender to start the year. Josh Green is good. But there's some other guys again like in order to get a respectable defense from limited defensive personnel. You need buy-in. And that means even guys that are, have been inconsistent perimeter defenders in their career have to uh, kind of play to their, to their ceiling. Like Kyrie Irving is known as being a bad defensive player, but in the 2016 playoff run with the Cavs, he was actually their best defender on Steph Curry. Whenever he would go to the bench and like Iman Shumpert would come into the game, they would actually, even though Iman Shumpert was considered a better perimeter defender in terms of reputation, he struggled to guard Steph in a way that Kyrie did not, because Kyrie is capable of that. He's a very good defensive playmaker. There were a couple plays against the Magic where like, you'd see him come from off ball to sniff a play out. There was a Cole Anthony spinning fadeaway right in the middle of the floor where Kyrie just made an extra effort because he knew Cole wasn't going to throw the pass and just bailed out and got a late contest and forced an air ball on the shot there was another one where he was guarding in the left corner and he sn- uh, sniffed out a backdoor cut and jumped it and poked the ball free because he does have good anticipation he does have quickness and good hands he is capable of being an impact defensive player you got to get that from those guys Tim Hardaway jr same thing kind of reminds me a lot of Jr Smith in the sense that like he had a reputation as being a bad defender but in that 2016 season season he was a good defender and this season he's had stretches of really good um, perimeter defense and um, especially in that third quarter run i encourage you guys if you haven't done so yet there in that third quarter run um um against the magic he did a really nice job staying glued and applying ball pressure, navigating screens. As a team, they have better commitment on the glass and in help and recover situations. Luka Doncic has flashed a lot in that area compared to where he was last year. And then they just have that little bit of rim protection from Derek Lively in the minutes that he's on the floor. There was a play in the first half of the Magic game where Palabancaro just got going downhill right at Derek Lively and Derek just like has really good instincts and he backed up and instead of trying to go vertical, which Paolo would have gone right around him, he kind of like leaned back and anticipated and reached back and blocked him um, at the top of the square. Derek Lively provides just that little bit of extra rim protection when they go into that look. And so as a result, they're capable of making defensive runs. They allowed just 17 points in the third quarter against the Magic and just 19 in the fourth. They contained the ball. They forced tough jumpers. I thought Grant Williams did a really nice job. Um, avoiding screens on Paolo because one of the things they were doing is just running early screens in the possession to get Paolo switched onto a smaller defender and just have him post up until he got the defense into rotation and then they'd play out of that. Well, Grant Williams in the third quarter was like, screw that, I'm not getting screened. And he just stayed on on Paolo the whole time, stayed in front of him, forced him into a bunch of tough shots and their defense just completely took over that game. And then down the stretch, it's just the steady diet of Kyrie and Luka making plays. Now, when the schedule does get tougher, and it will in their next 10 games, Raptors, that's a relatively easy game, although they're going to face a lot of physical mismatches in that game. But Clippers, that's tough. Pelicans, Pelicans, those are tough. Wizards, that's an easier game. Kings, excuse me, Bucks, that's tough. Kings, tough. Lakers, tough. Clippers, tough. Rockets, they're uh, playing some better basketball as of late as well. So it's going to get a little tougher here in the next two and a half weeks or so. In order for them to win over that stretch, they're going to need Kyrie to get his jump shot going, and they're going to need to rebound the ball better than they have been. But great start for the Mavs through seven uh, through seven games. I don't think you can be um, more satisfied considering where they were at uh, at the end of the year last year. All right, before we get out of here for the day, we're going to do our five mailbag questions. First one. Jason, love your breakdowns. Uh, Question, maybe you can mailbag this, but how do you watch the games with breakdowns and positional slash types of plays on offense? You isolate pick and roll plays and stuff. I know you talked about Synergy in the Cleaning the Glass app, uh, but looking to just find out what you use to make these breakdowns. So um, I do use a tool called Synergy. It's extremely expensive. Um, It is a uh, analytics platform that... um, NBA teams use that college teams use that even high school teams use. And so it's incredibly in depth play, uh, play clip sorting and things like that. Uh, I am very, very lucky to have access to that platform. It makes my job a whole lot easier, uh, but it is not easy to get access to cleaning the glass is a lot easier. It's like, I think it's like five bucks a month and they have great lineup data. They sort for half court sets, um, They, uh, with each individual team, they have a lot of like really interesting metrics that you can dig into. I find that to be a useful platform. And then learn how to use the NBA site. The NBA site, if you really take some time to sort through, you can get lineup data there as well. It's hard to do on-off stuff on there, but you can at least put piece together two, three, four, five-man lineups. You can track play types there as well. So you can actually go look up pick and roll ball handler, pick and roll roll man, off-screen actions, that kind of stuff, that all... You can't get the video and the sorting from it, but you can at least see the data. So if you want to at least kind of see points per possession in pick and roll or in post ups or ISOs, you can still get that for free on the NBA website. They do miscellaneous stats, so like second-chance points, uh, you know, uh, points in the paint allowed per possession, defensive rebounding percentage, offensive re- Like, there's literally hundreds of useful pieces of data that are that is available for free on the NBA site. So, like again, um, I synergy I don't think is a, a cost effective way for any fan to uh to get the you know NBA data. Um, but you can get uh most of the same data without the footage. On the NBA website, um, so again, like I, I think, I think there's plenty out there that's affordable to kind of learn more about the league without having to get too crazy. Second mailbag question from Shane: Would bringing D'Lo off the bench fix the guard skill set redundancy problem? So obviously, if you could bring D'Lo off the bench with another athlete, so if it was like if you had Austin and an athlete in the backcourt with the starters, and then you had D'Lo and Max Christie off the bench I think that could work but then it becomes a problem with uh, the delineation of resources or I should say the disbursement of resources so like if you're um, if you're going to have a contract circa 20 million a year for a player that you know you can't play alongside your starting you know, better point guard in Austin Reeves, who's going to play 35 minutes a night, then there's only 13 minutes available there without having to play them together, which presents those problems. So it's not so much like like whether or not D'Lo would be successful with this Lakers team coming off the bench, because of course he would. It's a redundancy problem, and it's a, it's a misuse of resources. And so you're actually better off trading D'Angelo Russell, having Gabe Vincent be essentially the skill guard in your bench groups who plays more limited minutes, and when you have the ability to play two, guard line, two small guards uh, against specific matchups, then you could play Gabe and Austin together. But you need to bring in an athletic guard to slot, uh, to slot next to D'Angelo Russell. All right, third mailback question. Hey, Jason, uh, here's a mailback question. I've recently started playing basketball by myself again, not with people, sadly, ever since my asthma started and I've been unable to sprint up and down the court. And I started working on my pull up mid range, and I wanted to hear your thoughts about the way, about the correct way to set your feet. Is it better to do a jump stop or to step into the shot? So, um, jump stop shooting again, so like just imagine if I um, am running into a shot, um, let's just say off the catch or off the bounce. But for the sake of this, to make this easier, let's say off the catch. Okay, so I'm running the right wing. And the ball is on the left wing and I'm wide open trailing the play. And the guy throws me the pass as I'm running into a three point shot. Um, And I know you specifically mentioned mid range shooting, but this is the exact same footwork. So we'll get to that. So if I, I I can say I'm running and I run off my left foot and then I just land on both feet at the same time and rise into a shot. That's like a jump stop into a three point shot Uh, uh, doing a split, a footwork or call it a, I, I refer to it as a one, two. And what I mean by that is like you plant your one foot first and then you bring your other foot around and plant. And that's the one you actually stop yourself with. Um, and you can do that left, right, or you can do it right, left. And, Generally speaking, if you're moving to the right, you want to do it left-right. And if you're moving to the left, you want to do it right-left. So essentially, as I'm running into a shot on the wing, instead of doing a jump stop, I would chop my feet a little bit and basically plant left-right on the catch and elevate and shoot it. So, um... Generally speaking, I think it's easier to go from moving full speed to stopping and elevating with a one-two than it is a jump stop. It doesn't mean you can't do a jump stop. It doesn't mean there's no place for it. I do occasionally do it, but I find that in order to actually get separation, doing a left-right or a right-left one-two takeoff is the easiest way to get separation on the move. Now imagine it in a pull-up jump shooting situation. So like, I've come off of a ball screen, I've got a little bit of separation, but there's back pressure, so I want to get one more escape dribble to get to the right elbow to elevate for a shot. In that case, I want to do that hard push-ahead dribble, plant left and right, and elevate, and get a bunch of lift as I'm taking that shot, right? And if I do a jump stop, I'm probably gonna slow myself down and probably not be as balanced when I go up. So it, again, you wanna be able to do both. And there's a, there's a really simple drill that you can do that kind of trains your body to balance yourself as you're doing this. And this is a drill I do with my high school players all the time. So start at the free throw line, spin the ball out to yourself at the top of the key. So you're facing away from the basket. When you, um, when you roll it out to yourself, jump stop with both feet facing away from the basket. Then reverse pivot and shoot a jump shot. So keep your left foot pivot foot, swing that right foot around the inside, rise up and take a shot. Do that till you make make two of them. Then do a reverse pivot with your right foot. So now you're in that jump stop, bring your left foot back towards the basket as you square for a shot. Do that till you make it twice. Then do two over the top pivots. So jump stop, start with my left foot as my pivot, bring my right foot away from the basket, swing it around and shoot. That's a, uh, do that till I make it twice. Same thing, left foot around away from the basket until I shoot. Then I do jump stops. So flip it out to myself, catch it with a jump stop facing away from the basket, then jump and spin in midair and land facing the basket on two feet, shoot a three, do it till you make it twice, then jump spin the other way. That's like a really, um, easy way to train your body from the standpoint of balance when you're doing weird footwork into shots, because you'll notice each way you go, your body has a tendency to try to lean one way or the other. It'll force you to keep a wide base and get really strong lift into the shot as you're rising up. Um, Okay, two more. What do you think of the Lakers reaching out to the NBA league office to complain about officiating in the Lakers heat game and the LeBron tweet in reply to the conclusion that there were no wrong calls in the last two minutes? are the Lakers LeBron's concerns legitimate or was that another case of you always say loser mentality when it comes to complaints about officiating? I literally thought it was super lame. Um, Logan, who's our head of content here at the, at the volume is also a big Lakers fan. And we both texted each other immediately after and we're like, what the, f-? like, what are these guys doing? Like, come on, like you you're playing like shit and under no circumstances should you have lost that game, even with any of the circumstances uh, um, surrounding injuries and things like that. Like the Heat just aren't playing very good basketball and the Lakers are just better than them. They should have won that game. They, The Lakers are playing bad basketball and blaming it on officiating to me is very much a loser mentality. So I agree with you. Um, LeBron tweeting it out, like he he's right. Like I don't think they were referring necessarily to the last two minutes. I didn't think when I, when I go through the possessions at the end of the game, I didn't think there was a foul that should have been called. Like, the the Kyle Lowry play technically is still a charge. I hate that play. I hate when a dude just falls down when a guy's running full speed. I think it's bad for the game. I wish they'd get rid of it. But by the book, that's a good call. So, like, I don't think – I think what LeBron was saying is more of a big-picture issue. As far as LeBron and, and, his, and the way he's officiated, LeBron doesn't get a lot of calls. That's true. But he also – commits more uncalled offensive fouls than most players do. He uses a lot of off-arm. He initiates a ton of contact. I'm one of those guys that's like, I want LeBron to be able to do that. So I'm okay if he doesn't get as many calls at the rim. And so to me, LeBron's always been officiated more or less fairly because he is a bully ball player that also gets fouled. And most of it goes uncalled, which is the way it should be in my opinion. Last mailbag question. The same quote, the Lakers lost, but they'll figure it out, end quote, narrative is tiresome. They're not winning the championship this season. I guess this isn't really a mailbag question. It's more just someone talking shit in the comments. But this happens every single day, and I wanted to address it. So um, I, I don't think, as currently constructed, the Lakers will win the championship. I agree with you. Uh, the only thing within the roster that would potentially fix the problem is if Jared Vanderbilt turned out to be a good offensive player this year. Like if he just lived in the gym all summer shooting corner threes and improving his hands and finishing around the basket and all of a sudden he was playable, then they can win the championship because Jared Vanderbilt solves so many of their problems in terms of perimeter defense and crashing the defensive glass from the perimeter. And it honestly would potentially allow you to get away with having D'Angelo Russell, even though I still think they should trade him. But, like, at the end of the day, like, I expect the Lakers to make a deal. They're equipped for it. They have two perfect salaries in D'Angelo Russell, who doesn't fit with Austin Reeves, and in Rui Hachimura, who plays the same position as LeBron. And so those two guys are good players that have some value around the league that are on fair contract numbers. D'Lo's literally going to be expiring next year. So, like, they're going to be tradable contracts. And then they have two first-round picks that they have access to to trade at the deadline this year. So, like... Do I think the Lakers are like done? No, but they're certainly in a worse position than I expected them to be at this point. And you're absolutely right. I don't think they're going to win the title as currently constructed. They're just not athletic enough. They have serious personnel shortcomings, but like at the end of the day, like I hate early season victory laps for anybody. And that's why you won't see me take early season victory laps because it's seven damn games guys. Like, Did you know that the Nuggets, who won the title last year, lost four out of seven four different times last year? So, like, again, we have a tendency to take a small window of games at the beginning of an 82-game season and define a team based on that. When the reality is it's an 82-game grind. And, like, a lot of the, like, every, every single team that got off to a great start this year We'll have several stretches this year where they look bad. That's called NBA basketball. That's how it works. The best team in the league last year that beat everyone's ass in the playoffs had four stretches identical to this Lakers stretch. What usually happens when a team goes and loses four out of seven when they're good? It's usually injuries and some tough games on your schedule. And that's literally what it's been for the Lakers. Two of their four losses were to the two teams that played in the NBA Finals last year, right? Then they lost to a Sacramento Kings team that is difficult to beat in Sacramento. And that went to overtime. And then they lost to an Orlando Magic team on the road when they were missing all their forwards. They're injured. They're, they're playing a tougher stretch of their schedule. And they're also not playing good basketball. That's what happens. Good teams usually also have good stretches, in tough parts of their schedule where they rip off four four wins and five tries against all playoff teams or something like that. Right now in the big picture, if we get to 50 games and the Lakers are, you know, a 23 and 27, then yeah, we can have a larger conversation about whether or not it's over. I had like a half dozen of you guys in the comments talking about how like, Oh, like Jason's going to go down with the Lakers to the dirty end. It's like, dude, it's been seven games. It's been seven games guys. And, I like as much as I am a fan of the Lakers, I'm always going to call it the way I see it. And what I see right now is a team that can't win the title as currently constructed, but is well positioned to make a midseason trade and really only need to fix one massive flaw in order to fix most of their problems. So um, again, like I, I, uh, I feel like I'm pretty clear with this show is in terms of my motivations and my biases. I try to fight them actively. Lakers, like, For those of you guys who are not Lakers fans, which is most of you, obviously, Laker fans, a lot of them dislike me because I'm not a propagandist, because I won't just sit there and talk about how great they are. I will talk mostly about the things that they have to get better at because I think like a coach, right? That's just my approach to the game. And so I look at the Lakers as like, these are the things they need to fix in order to reach the promised land, I would imagine most of you guys think the same way about your teams. I, I, I'm, not, I, 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 haven't been up here saying that the Lakers are are going to run away with uh, with the championship this season. I never said that. I, you know, I literally said they'd lose to the Nuggets if they played again in the, in a playoff series. I said that in preseason. I'm saying it again now, like I, I, but at the same time, like guys, this is a team that went eighteen and eight post-deadline without LeBron James with Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell in the backcourt. This is a team that went to the conference finals and beat the defending champs and beat the two-seed in the Western Conference without home court advantage in both series. So, like, that matters more than seven games in October... When Rui Hachimura is out, when Jared Vanderbilt's out, when Gabe Vincent is out, when uh, Jackson Hayes is out, like, I'm, I'm sorry, it's just it's just the truth. So no, you're not going to get me to write an obituary about how the season is over for the Lakers. That's not how it works. Uh, but I, again, I understand it's fun and it's, uh, you know, talking basketball is fun. Talking shit is fun. Taking victory laps is fun. I'm not hating on you guys. I'm just going to explain my position. And my position is the Lakers suck right now, uh, but I don't think they're going to suck when they get healthy, and then I think they could be really, really good if they make the right midseason trade, and I feel like that's a pretty fair take the surrounding what that Laker team is capable of. All right, guys, so that is all I have for today. We, uh, we're we planning on going tonight after Nuggets Warriors, but we're actually going to put that off and go Thursday morning. My house is getting painted, and so I can't get into my studio right now, and so as a result of that, like this room It's nice and lit up right now, but it very much won't be at 11 p.m. local time. So I can't record in here at night, um, but I will be able to on Friday when we cover the late night slate. So tonight's slate, we're going to hit Thursday morning. I will see you guys then.
0: Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve With Discover, limitations apply. See terms at discover.com/slash credit card.
0: Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel.